Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Don't have bad days. Just give them up. They're bad. And it's a lot easier if you don't have them. I know that sounds silly, but it's really true. Good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day. Just choose to focus on the positive stuff. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does I've known Slocum for years, and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner-operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever 
for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed. I'm here with Jeff Holst. Jeff is joining us from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's the founder of Old Fashioned Real Estate. They focus on value add deals, including some deals that they JV. They have over 300 units in JV deals. Jeff is also a GP of an office building, a strip mall, and a 100,000 square foot industrial building. He's also an LP on two hotel deals. Jeff, can you start us off a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, sure. So the value add multifamily, like the mid-sized multifamily is kind of my sweet spot. I like to buy 20 to 50 unit buildings, mostly in Chattanooga, but I have some stuff in the Midwest as well. And my real focus right now, though, honestly, is just moving to Puerto Rico. So I'm back and forth. I'm like half in Puerto Rico, half in Chattanooga. Happen to catch me in Tennessee right now, but I'm itching to get back over to my island home. Are you spending half of the year plus one day, at least in Puerto Rico right now? Is that the deal? You know, people ask me that a lot. And I'm actually the only person I know of in this situation, but I'm actually spending half of a year minus one day in Puerto Rico. I'm counting off my days to make sure I don't go over half a year because unlike everyone else in the world, I don't pay tax. So I'm a real estate investor. I do a lot of bonus <laughs> depreciation. So even gotcha. though Puerto Rico has an insanely great tax system for a lot of people, 4% is still more than 0%. Gotcha. So why move to Puerto Rico then? Just you like the beach and... There's a lot of really cool stuff going on there. We did really well back in the last recession in Metro Detroit and in some of the more challenging markets. Puerto Rico has some challenges, but there's also a lot of really, really positive developments. It, part of it is there's a lot of new money coming to the island, cryptocurrency folks and stuff. Yeah, um, so I think there's just sense. a ton of opportunity there. But yeah, also I wanted to scuba dive more. We don't have any oceans in Tennessee, so Puerto Rico. That makes a lot of sense. You said during the recession, you were doing a lot in Detroit. When did you first get into commercial real estate investing? We started out with single families and things like that in Detroit in 2011-ish. And then we transitioned to multifamily in 2017. We started selling off those properties in 1031 and into bigger deals. Our first one was a 12 unit, then we did a 19, and then we did a 32, and, and then it was just off to the races from there. After we ran out of stuff to 1031, that's when we started JVing stuff. Gotcha. So when you started JVing on these apartment deals, how were you structuring those? What was the joint venture? It's very deal specific. Sometimes it would be just like a couple of us each had some money and we would just put it in together. Other times we did this thing, we named it the side aid investing because it's the infinity symbol, you know? So we would do this deal where we basically create a new company. Slocum, say you and I wanted to buy a deal. I had a deal. You had some money. Rather than build a syndication around a 10 unit building, it's possible, but it's difficult. We'd figure out a way for us both to be active in the deal. And what we would do is we'd create an LLC 50-50, right? I own half, you own half. And then you would loan money to the LLC for the down payment. And the LLC would pay you interest on your money, generally interest only. So it's kind of like a combined debt equity kind of thing. So we did a lot of deals like that where people had various percentages. You have to be a little careful that you don't accidentally fall into syndication land. You don't want to be selling securities without filing the proper exemptions or having a securities license or any of that kind of stuff. But as long as people stay active, you have a lot of flexibility in how you structure stuff. Jeff, let's talk about how you stay careful not to fall into syndication land. I have 
active partners on a couple of apartment deals of the same size that you're talking about. And effectively, we're just both GPs. We're both equity partners. I run all of the operations because that's my background and my partners brought more of the money. So tell me how you're structuring those things. You're using some terms that I don't. So the thing about syndication is it doesn't matter what you call it. The securities definition is really clear. If people are investing with an expectation of profit, and I might butcher this because I'm not a securities attorney, but if you're investing with an expectation of profit through the efforts of someone else, it's a security. It doesn't matter how it's structured. It's a security if they're putting money out there and expecting to make a profit through your efforts exclusively. As long as someone is actively involved, like you said, they're a GP with you, like a co-GP, you're probably fine. But if you took in 20 people and took 50,000 from each of them and went and bought a deal and none of them really did anything except for put in money, that's a syndication. It doesn't matter how you say it is, right? So when I say we be careful, what I mean is I'm not going to take 10 investors into a single deal. I'm going to make sure that that investor is having input into the decision-making. Now, I'm not talking day-to-day decision-making. That's the role for a property manager. And if, if you're acting as a property manager, that's fine. I'm not even talking at the asset management level because you can decide to hire an asset manager, right? And that person can be Slocum. It can be Jeff Holtz. It doesn't matter, right? But what's important is that they still have active participation in that deal in some fashion. And that's going to be different in every deal, what level of involvement they are. But it could be helping in underwriting. It can be helping guaranteeing the loans. Obviously, that has a big part of it. Typically, you're not going to see that in a syndication. If there's things like that, it's a balancing test. And so you just got to make sure you're aware of where that line is and don't push it too far. And by the way, also consult with an attorney. Don't, don't rely on what you heard of on a of podcast. And consult with a CPA. Yeah, consult with all of the yeah. professionals that you need to, to make sure that you're doing it correctly. I am an attorney, but I never did securities work. I have my own securities attorneys that I work with when I set this stuff up and real estate attorneys and CPAs and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. And we consulted with attorneys when we set up our partnerships as well. It's probably completely fine how you have it set up. Correct me where I'm wrong, Jeff. This was at least my thinking when I was setting up my partnerships. One of the reasons to avoid syndication is that the deals that we were buying were simply too small to justify the cost involved in the formation of the syndication, the legal fees, the filing with the SEC. When you're talking about a 10 unit in Detroit or Chattanooga, Tennessee, I don't know what your values are, but we're talking about some stuff is being listed by brokers right now at 65, 70,000 a door in that space, class C buildings by age and condition. So if you're talking about a $750,000 building, it just doesn't make any sense to go through the legal hassle and the cost of registering that with the SEC doing it the right way through attorneys. Completely agree. And that's why I said, we make sure that we're complying with securities law. We're purposely avoiding the possibility of creating a security inadvertently. Because what you want to do is if you're going to do it, you want to go through the cost of doing it correctly. You want to have your PPMs and your registrations. And really, it's just notice filings. If you have the right exemptions, it's just about putting the SEC on notice that that's what you're doing. And then making sure your investors have all the proper disclosures and stuff. But that stuff does cost time and money. If you need $200,000 to do a deal, it's not worth doing. And that's $750,000 deal. Yeah, you need two, $300,000 to do the deal and some bank financing. That's never going to work for a syndication. But we have done some where we've raised small numbers. 
One of the first syndications we did went through the whole process. We only raised three hundred fifty thousand dollars, or three hundred forty, or something like that, and it worked out fine. But that was a very rich deal. And it was about creating a model that we could repeat for our investors. So we wanted to start out with a small one intentionally, and it worked out really well. We exited that deal. Everyone doubled their money in three years, and everyone's happy. And those people, of course, reinvested that money again with us, or most of them did anyway. I want to stay on this for just a moment longer before we break into any other conversations, Jeff, because you said you started in Detroit. Did you live in Detroit at the time? Did you live in Chattanooga? No, I actually lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then I uh, moved to Chattanooga. And once I moved here is when I started investing in Detroit. I guess I'm weird. In fairness, I went through a pretty dramatic life event. I got diagnosed with leukemia. I was a bankruptcy attorney and that actually drove me into personal bankruptcy. So in 2010, I filed bankruptcy and I took a job in Chattanooga and I thought I was going to die. So I was like, I need to buy some assets to make sure that my wife's okay if I die. That was my whole goal. Unfortunately, I started at the right time because pretty much anything you bought in 2010, you did really well with if you held it till now. In fact, the first deal I did, I still own. It was a $30,000 condo that we bought for cash. I had no credit, so I had to figure out a way to do this. And so I saved up my bonuses for a year and bought a condo. And it worked out pretty well because things probably worth $150,000. I bought it with a partner, so I only had to put in $15,000 or something. And, right. and so we still have it and it rents out consistently. So it could be worse. Gotcha. Specific to the 20 to 50 unit deals that you're buying right now, where are they? Are they all in Chattanooga? Yes, we have a few deals in Michigan still. I think I have about 100 units up there in that size. Are you um, currently buying up there? I'm looking at deals. I haven't bought anything in a while. Most of this stuff is within 30 miles of Chattanooga. I am looking in a couple of other markets too, but I haven't pulled the trigger on those. So when I'm talking to my real estate investor and apartment investor friends here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm talking to brokers and I'm talking to my commercial mortgage broker, one of the things that comes up very often in conversation and one of the reasons that a lot of syndicators are not finding a lot of success, we're not finding a lot of deals in Cincinnati is because Cincinnati has an older and smaller apartment inventory by comparison to the metros that are exciting for apartment syndicators. Very few of the buildings here were built in or since the 1990s. More likely to find 1890s than 1990s in Cincinnati, in fact. And you're more likely to find four families all over the place. But the 12-unit building where it's three floors of four apartments. One apartment might be the utility room, laundry room, but it's the same brick structure everywhere. That's a lot of our apartments in Cincinnati is those buildings. My 24 unit is 212s. So Cincinnati, it's a great cash flow market. It is a growing market. And most of our apartments are not syndication size. So speaking specifically to the best ever listeners who find themselves in markets like ours, where the good apartment deals that will allow them to scale their portfolio will not allow them to syndicate. What are your recommendations for how those people partner with others to take advantage of OPM, other people's money, and get invested in deals that don't make sense to syndicate because they're too small? It's always a trick, right? You have to understand what those potential partners are looking for because you have to skirt that line if you're not syndicating. So 
you got to know what they want and you got to really get a good understanding of what it is that they're looking for. And then you got to structure the deal that divides up the debt, equity, and cash flow in a way that works for everyone. Like I said, the strategy I outlined sort of briefly where we start a new company and then one person loans money to that company and, and the other person or partner maybe finds the deal and does a little bit more on the management side, that can work. And that's a strategy that I've used in Chattanooga, which we have a similar problem here. There are some big deals here, 150 unit buildings and new construction because we have a lot of growth, but there's a lot more 20 unit buildings than there are 100 unit buildings. And actually, I kind of like that because in a way it creates an opportunity, right? You said you're in a cash flow market. Well, we are too. We're in a cash flow and appreciation market somewhere between probably where you are in like say a Phoenix or something that's almost all appreciation now, right? When you're looking at a deal like that, you have an opportunity to do very, very well. And you can structure deals to do value add things where you can refinance in 18 months and pull all your money out. So that's one way to scale too. And that's what we've been doing the last few years is we're refinancing, pulling out the money, and then just using that as a down payment on the next one. So once you get to a certain scale, it becomes quite a bit easier, but you've got to just be flexible and figure out a way to do it because 20% of a deal is better than 0% of a deal. If you can make it work and you end up with a chunk of it, it's worth doing. I did a deal similar to that this past year, Jeff, where 20% of a deal is better than no deal. And it wasn't necessarily that I brought on one partner and that partner lent all the money to the partnership the way that we structured it was effectively, I knew his cash flow expectations. And I knew that after the value add process with this 26 unit was complete, the property would far exceed his cash flow needs. So what we did was he took 75% ownership. I took 25% ownership, but he brought 85% of the money and I only brought 15. So he was hitting his cash flow numbers my cash flow numbers are much sweeter though. But to your point, Jeff, I'm the one who found the deal, negotiated yeah. the deal. You and just now got I'm the piece. one executing on the plan. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a deal right now with one of my partners where we had some 1031 money. He had a deal and we're 1031ing in and we're doing a tick. He's getting 15% of the deal and he's putting none of the money and we're getting 85%. And I'm fine with that. He's going to be operating a lot of it. Obviously, we're going to be paying attention when we own 85% of it, but effectively, it's a great deal for both of us. He's getting a nice chunk of a 40-unit building and not putting any money in, and we'll get our money back at a refinance or sale point out of the capital account, but then we're dividing everything 85-15. Jeff, you said you're still buying apartments, but it sounds like since you got into the apartment game, you've basically touched on every single other commercial asset class with at least one or two deals. You've got an office building, a strip mall, a big industrial building, your LP on some hotel deals. What's got you diving into all of those different niches? Well, listen, I've been very fortunate the last few years. And after I went through that health scare and thought I was going to die, I went, well, I need to do fun things and I need to craft a life that's amazing. So it's a big goal of mine. And I've done that. I've got to climb Kilimanjaro. I went to Antarctica last month, which is amazing. It's a great place to go. But I kind of want to do interesting things. I'd rather not just do the same thing over and over again. So I just try different stuff, see what works. I like making money and those were good opportunities. In fact, the office deal 
this is my second office, but the one that I'm sitting in right now, we bought this building and did kind of like a, almost like a WeWork idea, like running out individual offices downstairs. And then we took the top floor and it's like house hacking our own office. So we have our free office space as a result of that. I just love that stuff. It's just fun. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Best ever listeners, I have to hijack the podcast for a moment because I'm literally doing the exact same thing and I'm almost done renovating and furnishing and I'm about to advertise. So let me ask Jeff for my own office hack. It's a 4,000 square foot building. It's going to have six private offices, one of them mine, five of them rented, and then a co-working component outside of that with shared day desks and shared day offices and lounge space. How did you attract people to lease your private offices Mm. and subscribe or lease your co-working space? Yeah, it's been harder than I thought it would be actually. So just so you know. So we've actually just sort of floated it. We put out Facebook marketplace and stuff because you can't do like the normal, like, you know, stick it up on apartments.com syndicated out to all the different sites, kind of rental strategy. Right. So Facebook marketplace has actually been really good for it. That's good to hear. Yeah. And then also Craigslist, we got a little bit off of that too. But a lot of Someone it's just was... been like word of mouth. You go to a networking event and then of course we have 14 offices in our building. Okay. 14 single offices. And then we have one office that's quite a bit larger that has two units and that's the space we took for ourselves. So it's just myself and my partner. And then we have a a little mini conference room, but we have 1600 square feet for ourselves, And then the other people have whatever space they have three, 400 square feet per office, something like that. We'll go to a networking event and I'll say, Hey, you need an office. I can rent you a place really cheap. It includes all of your utilities. And like where our price point is, is cheap. I mean, it's like you know $450 a month or something for an office with all your utilities. So we've just been trying to fill it up with other real estate investors that just want a home base. And that's totally. create almost like a real estate center. So we call it the old yeah, fashioned real idea. estate center. And just think we can all yeah. hang out here and synergize and stuff like that. 
That's awesome. My situation is similar. I'm a little behind you operationally just because I haven't actually officially launched yet. And again, I'm sure there are best ever listeners who are doing this and getting value from this conversation, but also they all need to know that this kind of thing is available. If you're active in the real estate space, this is your career. This is a fun thing to do. As a real estate agent focused on working with investors, I just got sick of how many of my clients bought office hacks, how many I found for them and how I wasn't mm. doing it personally. And I was like, man, I got to have one of these. So what I found was an old building. It's in my neighborhood. It's on the main road, just half a block away from the trendy coffee shops, restaurants, bars, et cetera, off street parking. Yeah. I bought it as a residential three family, but the zoning was office limited, allowing for all of my needed uses. So I got it on 30-year fixed rate debt as a nice. three-family building and then converted it. And for someone like you and me, like you were saying about needing to enjoy yourself, real estate becomes the hobby as well as the career. It's fun, but my plan is to use Facebook Marketplace. I live in the neighborhood. I'm in the neighborhood Facebook group as well as Facebook yep. Marketplace. My clients who do this have told me that Craigslist has actually recently become really viable for finding office tenants, which is good to hear because I'll need that. And yeah, I have a toddler at home. So not working from home is very helpful. Yeah. That's my thought too, right? Like I'm five minutes yeah. from my house in Tennessee here. Now I'm moving to Puerto Rico. So the office is less useful, but you know how long you can keep an office you don't have to pay for pretty much forever. So right. I can have a space here when right. I'm in town. And when I'm not in town, I don't worry about it because it doesn't cost me that much. It pays for itself and builds equity over time. And actually we got a really good deal on ours too. And we fixed it up and now we're getting ready to refinance it, pull some cash out. So we'll actually be like that positive on it all around, which will be fantastic, but it's really great. And the other thing I would tell you the best ever listeners is that if you're in the market for an office in Cincinnati, it sounds like there might be one available and you should jump in there. I'll pitch yours, but same in Chattanooga, we have a few spaces left. So, you know, feel free to reach out. But the point is this stuff exists everywhere because we're not the only people doing it. And the reason I found this building that we're in now is because I was looking for a single office to work out of my house. Because once COVID hit, I was like, okay, cool that I can do everything on Zoom. But I really like to just have my own space that's not in my basement. And that's where everyone was working in their basement or guest bedroom or something for a year and a half. And now that we can get out and about having not to go back to your traditional job, but have your own little space where you can have a client or a customer come if you want is awesome. And also taking advantage of the shift in the office market now, bringing this back to a commercial real estate investing conversation, Jeff, one of the major shifts that we're seeing in office space is major companies, but also smaller companies moving away from the central hub, downtown, large office to smaller satellite offices. And with more people working from home, my office is in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is full of white collar professionals working from home. A lot of them have kids and a lot of them just need a place to crash that's close to home that can get them out of the house that's affordable. This is a viable business strategy. It's not just a, a hobby office hack thing. There's some serious cash flow potential in this too, if you find the right deal, if you're an active operator. Best ever listeners, and you're looking for creative opportunities for cash flow, that looking into the zoning in the area where you live or in an area that is an area of your city that is redeveloping, finding the areas of town that are zoned for office or finding an office building like Jeff is describing or like I'm describing, you can find some hidden gem, serious cash flow doing what we're doing. Yeah, it's been great for us.
Question, Jeff, out of all of the deals that you've done and getting in all the different niches within commercial real estate, which one's been the funnest outside of your office? I really love value-add multifamily. I love taking a building that's really poor condition and we might even over-improve a little bit, granite, redoing cabinets and replacing all the appliances and stuff like that. What we're doing is we're creating quality housing. We're moving C to B and I love doing that. So to me, that's probably the most fun is taking a building that really needs to be brought back to life and bring it back to life. But honestly, I love it all. Now I'm thinking about actually building a safari lodge in Tanzania, and I'm looking at some Airbnb deals in Puerto Rico. And we bought this building last year that used to be a barracks for World War II generals and stuff. And it's down here in, in Georgia, right off the Civil War battlefield. And it's like a hundred year old building and like MacArthur slept in one of the bedrooms. And I, it's just so cool to be attached to all that stuff. It's just amazing. Jeff, before we transition to the last segment of this show, I do want to say that it's very valuable to be hearing from your perspective, talking specifically about traumatic life events, leukemia, using your words, thinking that you're going to die, and knowing that you need to leave assets for your family, but also wanting to have fun while you're doing it. That's why I asked that question, is it's great to hear that you're making a living doing these things. It's not just hobby and it's not just what you do outside of the day job. It is the day job and you found a way to keep it fun and to keep it profitable. Are you ready for our best ever lightning round, Jeff? I'm ready. Awesome. What is your best ever way to give back? What I really love to do is I love to help people live the best version of their lives. So we created a podcast and a Facebook group and all this stuff where we just like lean into that and we just interview people doing exciting things with their life to get inspire people and give them ideas about it so i spend a lot of time just doing a lot of social stuff that we don't monetize it's just we're out there sharing positivity and then i have this life philosophy about not having bad days so i haven't had a bad day since i was 17 i love to teach people how to do that that's one of my favorite things in the world awesome what is the best ever book you recently read i read so many books they're all great I love a lot of things. Right now, the one that jumps out to me is actually The Creature from Jekyll Island. I read that a few months ago. And this book is about the Federal Reserve, and it is terrifying and fascinating at the same time. So if you haven't read it, you should check that one out. That's a really interesting book, Jeff. Very interesting, especially right now, and especially considering the federal government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And for those of you who have read Jekyll Island, and for those of you who are interested in reading Jekyll Island because you're hearing about it recently and how timely it is to read it right now. I will just say one political caveat, keep in mind that both the Trump and Biden administrations have basically had very similar responses to the COVID pandemic. And when you realize that, that's going to further the message of the creature from Jekyll Island, that this isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. This is an American federal government thing that you're reading about. What is the best ever lesson you've learned from a particular deal, Jeff? Great question. I think it's just about being willing to pivot. Sometimes you have an idea of how something's going to work out and then it's not working out that way. And then you have to be able to be flexible. And it might be in this market, it's been easy because the bailout has been, oh, well, prices are up, I'll just sell. But I think there are times when that's not going to be available. So you want to have multiple possible exits, multiple possible holding strategies, because you just don't know. You might be building an Airbnb and they might change the regulations. So you want to underwrite it. Well, what if I can't Airbnb it? What does that look like? Things like that. What is your best ever advice? 
don't have bad days, just give them up. They're bad. And it's a lot easier if you don't have them. I know that sounds silly, but it's really true. Good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day. Just choose to focus on the positive stuff. When I got diagnosed with leukemia, people were like, oh, I bet today's a bad day. And I was like, not really. Most of the day was pretty good. That moment, it wasn't my favorite moment of the day. But in retrospect, even though that was maybe a little delusional at the time, it probably was one of the best days of my life because it got me on this journey that I'm on now where I get to talk to you. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that. We're grateful for your perspective, Jeff, for sure. Where can people get in touch with you? I'm all over the place. If they just Google Jeffrey Holst, they'll find me. But probably the Last Life Ever Facebook group is the best place to reach out to me. Last Life Ever is just about living the best version of your life. And I love to hang out there and interact with people. Awesome. Well, best ever listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've gotten value from this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with Jeff Holst with a friend so that we can add value to them too. Thank you and have a best ever day.